They say this time of year evil things walk among us again, as the veil between our world and the world beyond is at its thinnest. Those things leave a mark on our world, none more so than when the devil himself came to Wexford. Let me explain. Let me explain with Sean Defoe, a News Talk original. The story of Loftus Hall is one I first heard in second class. We had a teacher, Mr. Colfer, who would flick off the lights and tell us ghost stories about the southeast, vampires running through hidden underground passages in Waterford, the metal man in Tremor coming alive once a year to try and find his long-lost brothers. But my favourite was always Loftus Hall. There have been loads of versions of this story down throughout the years. Rick Whelan of WLRFM, he did a docudrama for RTE in 1993. It's worth a watch. It's actually up on YouTube. A little bit dated, obviously, now because it's 1993, but it's kind of cool to go back to that 90s television anyway, and it tells the story really well. This version brings together the parts that most tellers agree of with a little bit of flair remembered from an old teacher. There's a reason the Hook Peninsula in Wexford is known as the Graveyard of a Thousand Ships. Hook and Dunmore flank the Waterford estuary, guarding the entranceway to Ireland's oldest city. A dive below its stormy waters is to visit the grave of unfortunate sailors from across the span of human history. From the 6th century, monks had maintained a giant fire on Hook Head, trying to warn ships of the dangers of the rocks. In the 1200s, the famous black and white striped tower was built. And on this winter night in 1765, a local man kept a lonely vigil in the tower. A horrendous storm battered the coast that night. Wind tore at the lighthouse as waves 30 feet high smashed into the rocks. The lightkeeper grumbled as he hauled another bucket of coal from the bottom floor up the spiral staircase to feed the fire. What's the point, he wondered. Surely no one was stupid enough to be sailing in this weather. Besides, you could hardly see the beacon from sea anymore, even in good conditions. It was just 30 years since those pompous loftuses had threatened to shut the lighthouse if they didn't get extra rent, and they'd done nothing to help with the upkeep since. They'd called old Nicholas Loftus the extinguisher till the day he died. As the keeper reached the banked coal fire at the top of the lighthouse, lightning streaked across the sky, lighting up the storm outside. He dropped the bucket in shock as he saw it. A ship, dark as night, black sails taut as the wind ripped at them. It glided through the water as though the storm of the century was just a passing squall, before disappearing around the coast, heading for Slade Harbour. Slade was, by any degree, a small harbour, much too small for the three-masted ship that was speeding towards it. And full besides, 30 small fishing boats all tied up fast, the fishermen long since sheltering inside by the fires. Some of the better off ones with a drink in hand, only a fool would be out on a night like this. The black ship looked certain to crash into the harbour wall, but at the last second before it must surely founder on the rocks, it took an unnatural turn in the water just metres from land. From the deck of the ship erupted the scream of a horse as it jumped and landed on the pier, sparks erupting where its hooves met stone. The beast roared into the night of the countryside, a man cloaked entirely in black riding bareback upon it. Just a kilometre away stood the imposing Loftus Hall, 
The three-storey manor was built in the time of the Black Death before coming into the hands of the Loftuses 300 years later in the 1650s. The hall rises almost unnaturally out of the countryside, the trees around it battered and gnarled out of shape by the wind, almost seeming to bow to the enormity of the house. Living there on this unfortunate night were the Tottenhams. Charles Tottenham was lord at the manor and now went by Charles Loftus. He'd had to give up his own name in order to inherit the lands when he married the Lady Loftus, another condition the late Nicholas Extinguisher Loftus could be thanked for. It's something Charles's ego never quite recovered from, but he was living pretty happily as Lord Loftus with his new second wife, Jane, and his daughter, Anne Tottenham. Anne's life was already one of sadness and boredom. Her own mother had died young, leaving her in Loftus Hall with her father, her stepmother, and all the frankly old and boring people who frequently visited. Being 21 and unmarried, she longed for someone to make things a bit more exciting. Loftus Hall was busy that night. A number of families were taking shelter in the manor along with Lord Loftus and his family. The warm glow of the fire and candles spilled out of the high sash windows to the inhospitable night beyond. Anne Tottenham looked up as she heard the sound of hooves coming from the long driveway, just audible above the roar of the storm. Not long after, the butler knocked and came in to inform Lord Loftus there was a stranger at the door, seeking refuge and a place to stay. In the entrance hall, Anne Tottenham laid eyes on the most handsome man she'd ever seen. Shrugging off his sodden black cloak stood a tall, dark man dressed in fine, if soaked, clothes. He introduced himself as the captain of a ship which had had to take shelter from the storm. He said he'd left the crew behind to maintain the ship before renting a horse and heading here, having seen the inviting light from the windows. Lord Loftus welcomed the man in, offering him food and dry clothes. The stranger began to admire the beauty of Loftus Hall. These tiles, they must be worth their weight in blood, I mean gold, he said, drawing a strange look from Lord Loftus. Local legend says two fine Italian craftsmen were brought over to lay the tiles in Loftus Hall, promised well above their usual price. When the work was done, instead of being rewarded, both had their hands chopped off. The Loftus is keen that no one would have a hallway as marvellous as theirs. Like many other guests, the stranger wondered at the ornately carved wooden staircase. It took years to carve and even more to fit. Only three were ever made. One for Loftus Hall, one for the Vatican, and one which now lies under the ocean on board the Titanic. The stranger quickly proved himself a hit with the guests at Loftus Hall. Charming, well-spoken, witty, the entire company was hanging on his every word, and none more so than Anne Tottenham. Finally, she thought, a handsome young man of marrying age has come into my life. Anne showed him around the manor, stopping for a particularly long time in her favourite part of the house, the tapestry room. Just away from the roaring fire, they spoke beside two windows, which on a clear day looked across the water to Dunmore East. Anne was already head over heels. Could this be who she'd prayed for? Her father, though, well, he was growing wary of the strange captain who came in the night and was paying so much attention to his daughter. He bade them both come back to the drawing room to play cards with the rest of the party. Lord Loftus was quite good at cards, or at least other people had the good sense to let him win often enough to abate his temper. Yet hand after hand, the stranger won. 
The more the red rose in her father's cheeks, the more delighted Anne became with this dashing stranger who dared challenge the lord of the manor. She was sick of the sycophants who usually came over, eyes downcast. So lost was she in the excitement that as the man dealt cards after winning yet another hand, she dropped one on the floor. Reaching below the table, she gave a start to see the card lying face up, the ace of spades. Still under the table, her gaze shifted to the stranger's seat. Instead of the sturdy sailing boots she could have sworn she saw earlier, were two grotesque, hairy, stinking cloven hooves. Anne screamed, knocking her chair to the ground as she scrambled away from the table. She looked with horror at the face of the stranger she'd been so taken with. Gone was the easy smile, the inviting eyes, that charming self-confidence, replaced by a toothless grin. Eyes like the burning coals atop Hook Head widening in sick delight. The candles scattered around the room erupted in flame as the stranger began a low, guttural, cackling laugh. He seemed bigger than before. Huge. The other guests scrambled away, unsure of whether to be more afraid of the deranged man in their midst or the candelabra suddenly spurting flame. Just as it seemed he could surely get no bigger without brushing the ceiling, the stranger burst into flame himself. The fire roared and exploded, sending charred lumps of wood flying. Surely this could be none but the devil himself. He took flight, roaring through the ceiling in a burst of flame, shooting out the roof and disappearing into the night. Back in the drawing room, all the flames winked out a sudden piercing cold clutched at all those left in the room. Stunned into silence. Rain pouring through the open hole in the roof and the single upturned ace of spades, the only physical evidence the devil had visited Loftus Hall. Anne Tottenham had to be carried from the wreckage of the drawing room. Numb with shock, her father instructed she be left in the tapestry room hoping being in her favourite spot in the house would help her recover. But Anne deteriorated. All she could picture was her time, standing by the window, flirting with the devil. She was torn apart by feeling that kernel of lost love, hoping one day the man might come back, and disgust at what he actually was. After weeks and months, her father, looking to move on, locked Anne away in the tapestry room, hoping to avoid any further embarrassment to the family. Each morning, a serving girl would help Anne put on the only dress that she'd wear, the one she'd worn that night, and she'd sit looking out the window across the water to Dunmore East, waiting for the stranger's return. Anne sat for so long in that chair, her joints stiffened to the point where she could no longer walk, and when she died a number of years later, the undertakers couldn't move her body from that position. They had to build an L-shaped coffin to house the remains of Anne Tottenham. But Anne's story doesn't end there. Not long after her death, staff at Loftus Hall began reporting seeing the young woman again. She floated through the house in a long, silk gown. Noises could be heard at night coming from the tapestry room. The sound of conversations between a man and a woman. Sometimes, even a child's voice could be heard from the quite empty room. 
quickly guests avoided staying in the tapestry room. One overnight guest reported extinguishing his candle to go to bed and immediately being leapt on by a growling creature clawing like a dog only to discover the room empty and the door still locked when he managed to restore light. Religious objects began being moved around the house and on some nights, particularly when there was a storm brewing, the family would come down to find the front doors, the doors the stranger himself walked through, swinging on their hinges, having been securely locked when they went to bed. Looking to finally rid the house of its demons, the family turned to the local priest, Father Thomas Broders, and he began a difficult exorcism of the house. Finally, he locked himself in the tapestry room, looking to rid Loftus Hall of the tormented ghost of Anne Tottenham and whatever residue the devil himself left behind. Terrified, the family outside heard noises from the room that would haunt them forevermore. The voice of their daughter, languages they couldn't hope to understand in the foulest of black language. The next morning, Father Broders left the room, ragged, bleeding, but claiming the exorcism was successful. But subsequent owners have serious doubts that Father Broders actually achieved what he set out to do. Loftus Hall has been many things since then. Briefly, a hotel. It also housed two orders of nuns at different points, neither of which stayed. When the last owners took over, they reported finding 56 statues of Our Lady or other Christian icons, all disfigured, all with their heads missing. In the hall's former chapel, the stations of the cross were defiled, with the pews found all turning away from the altar. Having been there myself, I can attest to their claims of sharp temperature drops in some of the rooms, particularly the tapestry room, which is, well, creepy at best. And until recently, there remained a hole in the ceiling of the cards room. New owners press up both Loftus Hall last year, and they plan on turning it into a luxury hotel, bringing in new guests to give some company to its current ones. Thanks for listening to this Halloween edition of Let Me Explain. I've always wanted to do a telling of the Loftus Hall tale. My family comes from not too far away in Ballyhack, and it is a beautiful part of the world to visit, full of old stories like this. How true are they all? Well, I guess we're going to find out when this new hotel opens next year, if there are poltergeists in the spa or next to you at breakfast throwing forks around. Uh, I just hope they do keep a place for the history of it and the stories, because sort of talking to a few people around Wexford, the impression is they might want to move on a bit and maybe discredit some of the old stories. I think that would be a shame. I did give press up the opportunity to be interviewed about their plans but they did decline also this is our 30th episode of the podcast which is kind of mad it feels like only yesterday we started out so thanks to everyone who's been listening have a good halloween everyone john kill is this week's editor with lock and heart on spooky sound chat to you next week